to you in conjunction with Wakefield Jazz, a lovely little jazz club in Yorkshire. practitioner um what else do you do tom uh teach as well teacher educator yeah that's about it brilliant and you're based in leeds now yes yes and you grew up in manchester right yeah sort of north yeah. manchester brilliant how are you settling into leeds i'm really liking it i'm good i'm not supposed to say that i like it more than manchester <laughs> wrong side of the Pennines, I, was gonna, I think you can say it over here I'm not sure you can say it over there that's true <laughs> brilliant I'm pleased you're settling in I'm pleased it's all working out well um, are you finding plenty of work and things to keep you busy are you got new projects on the go I think there's there's sort of more I guess for like a um, scratch band kind of jazz scene where you sort of get thrown together with people there's a lot more of that going on in Leeds which is really nice because so many of the other projects that I do are big long-term things. It's nice to have more gigs where it's just like, oh, do you want to play on Thursday night at this like casual venue with a real piano? So that's really good. Le- Leeds has got a great scene for that, hasn't it? So so many different venues and um, yeah, just there's a huge pool of musicians as well. So you can you can always find interesting people to play with pretty much every day of the week, I think. Should we start with the tour that you're currently on? Because um, you were at Wakefield uh two weeks two weeks ago um which was brilliant um so tell us about that because you're doing it with your trio but you're featuring a guest musician on each day and it's a different different guest each time in each different city basically i've just written loads of tunes over the last couple of years and and i've never really done any projects where it's like i am strictly the band leader and it's all my music um and I, yeah, I built up this big collection of tunes and thought I, I should put something together and kind of do a tour and then make a record. But I didn't want to lose that thing of when you play, because because the music's quite like open to interpretation anyway. Um, and I love that thing when you play with different people and they all bring something different to your tunes and sort of play them in a way you wouldn't have imagined playing them. Um, so I thought a, a good way to do it would be to have like a regular yeah, regular rhythm section and then book different guests for each gig. Um, so what have we done so far? Yeah, at Wakefield, I had Alicia Gardner-Trejo. It's a great baritone saxophone player. Yeah, she was fantastic. Uh, yeah, she's amazing. And an amazing composer as well. We played a couple of her tunes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then Manchester with Rachel Cohen. And then the ones we've got coming up, um, we've got Norman Wilmore in Glasgow, alto player. Um, who else is there? Oh yeah, Helena Kay, who's a great tenor player in London. And Lucianne Daniels, who's a really good young singer in Birmingham. And Nisha Smith, um, yeah, another great singer. And she's gonna be in Leeds. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Um, how did you find these guests? Did you are these people you knew beforehand, or has it just been recommended, word of mouth, bit of exploration? They're largely people I knew beforehand. Um yeah, I've I've, I've played a lot with Nishla Smith um, and yeah, Alicia as well. I played 
when I lived in Birmingham, I played with her quite a lot. And then in terms of everyone else, they were just people that I've sort of met a couple of times on gigs, didn't know super well, but really loved their playing. So yeah, it felt nice to ask people who I was kind of less familiar with, but still there's a bit of a connection there. It's a great thing to do. Um, I, I mean, you've already mentioned the fact that everybody will interpret your music in a slightly different way and you're obviously happy for that to happen. Yeah, definitely. I think um, part of what the purpose of the tour is as well is to explore the music because I'm going to, I've got a recording session booked in for the end of July where we're going to record an album out of these tunes. Mm -hmm. um, so part of what's nice about having different people on each date of the tour is that hopefully the music will go in lots of different directions and I'll kind of get an idea for what works best over which tunes and who sounds good over which tunes. Are you doing sort of similar repertoire for each gig um, and and then you get to sort of see how one compares to the next directly like that or are you having to change it depending on who's on the gig? Yeah, there's, there's about, I think I've got about 16, 17 tunes. Um, mm -hmm. So pretty much just using that collection. Um, and I've got some great friends who are lyricists writing lyrics for a lot of them for the gigs with the singers. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all a selection from that group of tunes right. on every gig. Oh, what a nice thing to do. It's almost like the, the upside down way of doing it because it used to be the the lead player would be the person doing the tour and hire a different house band at each venue. So you're kind of doing it the other way around, which is nice. Yeah. Good. I'm pleased it's going well anyway. You've got a, a, your, your most recent recording is something a little bit different from that, which is more of an improvised piece. Yeah. So um, it's called Canyon Exhibits 1 to 6. Um, basically, Kai Terunzi, who's also the drummer on the tour, um, me and him have worked together in loads of different projects over the years. We played in Rosie T's band together in Birmingham. Um, and we were in a band together called Trampet and um, we've just done like loads of one-off gigs and one-off projects. We always seem to get paired up whenever one of us gets booked in the rhythm section, the other one always gets booked as well. Um, and we've been talking for a while about doing something to sort of more intimately explore that partnership. And then it was the lockdown. So we obviously didn't get to play together for about a year and a half. Well, we played a couple of times, but um, it sort of felt like it would be nice to get in a room and do something with no restrictions and sort of no preconceived ideas. So we basically just booked a studio and went and recorded loads of free improvisations, like four hours worth of free improvisations. Yeah. Um, and then we wanted to sort of, to, to kind of take the pressure off all of them being like really perfectly shaped and really good. We sort of decided in advance that we'd record loads of stuff and then do all the sort of shaping and forming it into a narrative later on. Right. Um, so yeah, then we just came home with four hours worth of stuff to listen to and took a lot of notes over a few weeks. And then, yeah, put it together. I think it's about 20 minutes in the end. Um, but it was kind of the things that we felt flowed best into each other and created a really nice sort of journey. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It sounds absolutely gorgeous. It's not um, often when you, you sort of hear people talking about free improvisation, I think people get a bit scared of it. Um, you sort of get the, the typical image of the sort of sound of drummers chucking instruments downstairs or or, or hitting basses with, with strange things. And 
make I saw a sort of four trumpet players who seem to be having a competition making the best fart noise for about 20 minutes that sort of, so I think when people hear the word free improvisation they get a bit scared but but certainly with your album it's it's it they shouldn't be it's yes it's mm. improvised but it's but it's really melodic and beautiful to listen to and the exploration of the, the the sound is is obviously really great between you two as well I think I think that's what we were kind of I mean we both also like the sort of noisier side of the free improv as well sure. but I think what we were aiming for was to have things that felt like compositions um, and because we've just played together so much over the years it feels quite easy to do that with Kai like we can sort of follow a phrase and both come out at the same point um, but I, I consciously on the day that we were recording it I was like what should I listen to on the journey to um, it's always an important the, choice isn't it I ended up listening to 12 Little Spells the Esperanza Spalding album Beautiful. because I was just like that it's such a good example of music that's really interesting and quite weird at times, but super meaningful and really melodic and um, colourful and lots of different textures. And it's got so many instruments on it and it felt very far removed from what me and Kai were doing. So I was able to just kind of listen to that to get ideas, but know that I wouldn't be then trying to recreate that in the studio. It's almost it's always be quite an interesting experiment to do it over a, over a couple of days do the same same idea but listen to different things before you go into the studio on different days and just see how much that actually affects you because mm. i know i've done gigs in the past where if you've gone to do a standards gig and you've had a good sort of art blakey thing on in the cd and then you've properly been swinging the backside out of the whole the whole gig and it's great but other yeah. times you've been listening to something a bit more spaced out and um yeah changes changes your mood completely doesn't it so um, you've got some poetry from Marco Wolf. Um, there's been some artwork from Imogen. Imogen Richards. Yeah. Yeah, she um, she lives in Birmingham and is good friends with Kai. So that was kind of that connection. And then we sent it to... The, the idea was basically to send it to a few people and just see what they did with it. So we sent the whole thing to Marco Wolf um, because we knew that he'd just write something really beautiful that sort of tied it all together. Um, and then, yeah, I think Kai suggested Imogen for the artwork because she makes really beautiful, like physically painted stuff. And we wanted it to be, because the EP is so acoustic, um, we wanted that to be reflected in the artwork as well. But I, I'd never seen her work before, so I had no idea what it was going to be like. And then when Kai sent me the painting, which ended up being the cover of the EP, I was just like blown away by it, basically. She gets it just um, right. And then we've got two music videos as well. We sent it to Luca Shaw, who's a great visual artist based in Manchester. Mm -hmm. And she sort of wrote out the poem and did lots of illustrations and stuff over the course of the three minutes. She sort of slides new images onto the piece of paper and words from the poetry and all that kind of thing. Okay. And then um, Stephanie Burel, who's a great dancer based in London, who neither of us knew but we'd both seen her work before um, from some work that she'd done with Luca Manning, the singer. Um, and yeah, we both just thought she was incredible. So it felt like a bit of a no-brainer to ask her to do it. Definitely. Do you think it's the kind of thing you could you could take that on tour as some sort of visual slash audio experience? Is that doable? Is that something you'd consider? Yeah, it's something we've been talking about, sort of how to, because we've decided we want the sort of multimedia thing to be such a big part of the project it then feels weird to just book gigs and do a duo improvised music gig um 
so definitely at least with Steph for a while we're going to do some hopefully we're going to do some gigs with Steph so we recorded something else a couple of months ago and um, we booked our space in Longsight in Manchester and we just did the same thing of improvising freely but with Steph in the room with us which was so much nicer to kind of okay. have another another bit of input and a bit of visual input obviously yeah. Um, so yeah I think I think we'll be able to gig at least with Steph and then maybe in the longer term plan yeah. some more sort of immersive projects with some stage design and visual art and all that kind of thing oh great you're obviously a man with a lot of vision I don't think that's true actually <laughs> <laughs> well you certainly seem to you've got so many different things on on the go um mm -hmm. who are your who are your heroes who do you find yourself going back to a lot at the moment and or that's over time always a difficult question isn't it it is um, yeah. I mean my biggest my biggest hero is Cecile McLaurin Savant mm -hmm. um, and yeah I, I discovered her music a few years ago and had just sort of never heard anything quite like it um, and it's that it's, it's weirdly hard to talk about I, I talk about it all the time yeah but I still find it quite hard because everything she does is so into like you're saying about people with different strings to their bone stuff she makes all her, her own visual work and everything's really narrative driven and mm. she's like dressed amazingly all the time and like yeah she is definitely someone who has a ridiculous amount of vision um but also her you, music she's just... utterly unique as well isn't she there's i think that's why it's hard to talk about it because there's not really anybody you can compare it to yeah although at the same time she sounds so she's like so obviously in the sort of lineage of singers like she has so many different singers inside her voice and yeah. especially on her earlier recordings there's like moments where she sort of locks into something it's like that's sarah vaughan or that's bessie smith but somehow you hear that and it doesn't take you out of the fact that she's like a totally unique, incredible new voice. It's like a sponge. It <laughs> sort of just sucks yeah. everything in from everywhere and somehow pieces it all together in a beautiful way and, and it just comes out so naturally. Mm. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, one of your, so your early influence track, you've uh, chosen something by Sonny Rollins. Yeah, so it's Sunny Side of the Street um from the sunny side up album with sunny rollins sunny stitt and dizzy gillespie um and it was it's really interesting when you sent over the kind of brief of the tracks that i needed to include and one of them was early influences i kind of didn't there was like no question that it would be this um because i really remember before i was ever when i was a kid we my family don't really listen to much music so i didn't really grow up in one of those households where you got introduced to all this great music. Um, but then when I was sort of in my teens, me and my girlfriend at the time, who played in a big band, just kind of decided to get into jazz because we enjoyed playing in the big band. So we just go, go to HMV and buy like random CDs from the jazz collection, especially if we'd heard the people's names before. Um, right. And I think I found this on a we we went and we bought like a nine classic albums in one Sunny Stick compilation. Um, and this track was on it. And we used to sort of listen to it in the car and we knew like every single solo, we could like sing the whole thing from start to finish perfectly. And like, you knew where all the drum, big drum crashes happened. And yeah, before I had any concept of what 
transcription was or right or I'd ever thought about like deeply listening to music. I clearly had deeply listened to this because it was just like so embedded. And I can still, it's one of those pieces of music that I can still hear the whole thing. If I decide to like listen to it in my head now, I can hear it all the way through, which is nice. Thank <laughs> you. 
leave your worries on the doorstep Cause we're going by and by Just direct your feet You'll meet on the sunny side of the street Can't you hear the pitter and the patter Of the raindrops trickling down your fire Spade the ladder Life could be so fine Fine as mmm wine I used to walk Walk in the shade with my blues On parade But I'm not afraid It's over Casanova If I never had one cent I'd be rich as Rocky Fella Gold dust at my feet On the And then we've got uh, one by Cecile uh, for your underrated artist. Yeah, this is a, a funny one to pick as underrated because she's sort of multi-Grammy award winning and I think most people know her. But I've so gone she's with... sort of almost underrated in this country, isn't she? I imagine she's probably more well-known on the other side of the Atlantic than she is over yeah. here. And there's, there's definitely a thing as well with like her new... She released a new album a few weeks ago and I've kind of not heard anything about it. I think she's one of those people that everyone, she's got such a wide output that everyone knows like something of hers and loves that thing, but maybe doesn't like follow the rest of the things that she releases. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the track I've chosen is from her new album, Ghost Song. Um, and it's like quite a twee song from Wizard of Oz, which is originally sung by a oh, okay. children's and then that really sort of effortlessly blends into a Gregory Porter cover. Um, and yeah, that's that's one of the things I love about her so much is that she plucks songs from all over the place and it never feels weird to sort of mash them together because she brings her own kind of sound to all of them. Blue that holds it all together, isn't she? Who else is on that album? Who's the musicians with her? Do you know? I think it's, I've not, I've ordered the CD, but it's not arrived yet. Right, okay. So I can but if it's based on her I saw that that band when they played live in London um I know it's Sullivan Fortner on piano oh he's uh, he's unbelievably good isn't he yeah <laughs> Take, takes jazz piano to an absolute new level but yeah, again I, think... I suppose like her like you said before he's, he's properly grounded in the history of the music but but he's really developing it and, and taking it to places that nobody else has really done is astonishing yeah. absolutely astonishing yeah, when you were asking about heroes before, he's he's definitely if she's my number one hero, he's probably my number two hero. Number one, number one and a half, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just underneath. You're out of the woods, you're out of the dark, you're out of the night. Step into the sun, step into the light. Keep straight ahead for the most glorious place on the face of the earth or the sky. Hold on to your hats, hold on to your hearts, hold on to your hopes. March into that gate and bid it open. Should have for the most glorious place on the face. 
fish of the earth or the sky. Hold on to your hats, hold on to your hearts, hold on to your hopes. March it back, beat it up. Thank you. 
He broke his wing, I helped him heal And then he flew away The death of love is everywhere But I won't let it be There will be no love that's dying here with me And then your third track, um, it's quite a short one, so we'll do a third and a fourth. Um, you've got uh, one of your own. Yes. Which is, uh, just called, so which is just called One. Just called One. So I, I wrote this when I was, I was in a, well, I've mentioned my time at uni, but I actually really didn't like my time at uni. Um, oh. And I was in quite a sort of bad place, hmm. sort of emotionally and musically. It sort of really... I think a lot of people have this experience, but going to music college kind of killed my love of music for a little while. Um, and then I met a great singer called uh, Becca Wilkins, um, who studied at the university, not the conservatoire. And we started a duo project together. And it was just so, it was, it was like a reminder of why I'd wanted to do music in the first place. And You need that. And you've got to have that release, haven't you? And I know sort of conservatoire training can get, so intense sometimes you've got to have that release that output for it all where you can just sit down at your instrument and yeah remember why you fell in love with it in the first place yeah and it's kind of weird at conservatoire because it's like musically and theoretically intense but it's not i wouldn't say it's artistically intense mm. like when i imagine people at universities having like long conversations into the night about things mm. when that's it music college it isn't like about the function of art in society or you know what it, what music means to you it's kind of like very heady theoretical stuff. interesting tom i've never really thought about it like that but yeah i think you're absolutely right yeah really interesting way of looking at it it's just like a, it's like information overload almost isn't it mm. and and certainly no I don't know about, obviously I can't speak for everywhere, um, but mm. there was certainly not a lot of um, cultural or historical, you were studying things really intensely and you were studying music from the 1930s or 40s or whatever you were looking into incredibly intensely in terms of what does this sound like, but there was no discussion of the sort of socio-political factors of, okay, why are these people making this music now? And especially when you're in obviously a institution with majority white teaching staff teaching a black art form for a lot of money that's yeah a weird um yeah a weird thing to strange funny funny the way it's worked out isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah it feels very strange the way things mm. have gone but, um yeah so I, I didn't really like my time at uni but then 
as I decided to leave and I'd started playing with Becca and falling back in love with music again, I wrote this, um, this song one in a practice room and was just very consciously like clinging up. I had like a nice moment where I felt really good about music and I was like, I'm just going to write something and it came out and it's, it's really interesting people. I saw a friend the other day who I've not seen for a while and he said, he's not heard the, I mentioned this EP and he said, he's not heard it for two or three years. But when I mentioned it, he hummed this tune and it was like in the same key as the original and he hummed the whole thing perfectly. And a few people have done that. I think it's got like a really, it obviously captured what I was feeling at that point. Marco Wolf uh, is a poet, uh, musician, singer, songwriter from Manchester who uh, I, I'm looking forward to working with later this year. I'm looking forward very much to putting a tour on with him. Um, and I know you've done quite a bit before. Um, he's a fascinating artist as well. And you've chosen a track of his uh, for the last one. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I met Marco when I moved back to Manchester from Birmingham. Um, and it was just because we both went to loads of gigs. And we did that thing where it's like, I've now seen this person six, six times. I should say hello to them. <laughs> um, and it turned out we're both from the same part of North Manchester and have loads of mutual friends and stuff. Um, but meeting him after having that experience at uni of not really feeling very kind of artistically challenged, I suppose, like people not really thinking about why they were making music and they were just making it for no reason when I then moved back to Manchester and met Marco, it was like the opposite of that, where he was so open-minded. He just loved music. He went to gigs all the time, listened to music all the time, wrote songs because he had things that he wanted to say. And it all felt incredibly meaningful. But on top of that, he loves working with new people and sort of properly incorporating their voices. So I'm actually on this thing that you're going to play of Marco's now. And I think the recording session for it was the first time we'd ever played together. Um, and he didn't like send me the music in advance and I didn't know how he was going to use my part. And there was kind of no, there was no room for ego. He didn't like let me listen back to it or um, do multiple takes. It was very just like, I've heard your, I've heard you play. I think you're a really beautiful improviser. I want to hear what you do with this song, like press, press record. I recorded it and then he's like shaped this beautiful EP. He's, he's done that with basically every improvising musician in Manchester really. Um, and then just shaped this like incredible EP, which features loads of different people's voices, but it's very like, he's like the architect of the whole thing. And obviously the songwriter and singer. And yeah, he's just incredible. Right. And the track's called Modus Operandi. Yes. Yeah. What is it about that particular one that you sort of really enjoy? I think it's, well, like that thing I was just saying about my my last composition, one where I can like people can still remember it. I think it's one of the first things of Marco's that I heard, 
Um, and it's really, it starts with this like, and that it's like so ingrained. That might be in the wrong key. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't think anybody was, anybody's worried. <laughs> I can always like hear that, that thing. It's just like very memorable, like starting points of the track. Um, and then it's quite long and has lots of different sounds introduced. It's, yeah, it's just a really beautiful song, basically.
check out your website, which is tomharrismusic.com. Yes, and I presume yeah. everybody can find you on all the usual social media platforms. Yeah, my, my handle is like Tom Harris is a common name. Oh, yes, yes, I saw that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> There's hundreds of Tom Harris's all over the place. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been lovely to talk to you. Uh, it was lovely to see you play the other day in, in Wakefield as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more from you uh, in the coming weeks, months, and years. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you for having me.